say this morning, it's been good to be in the house of God. The worship has been really good. Spirit has been very rich here this morning. Thanks, Pastor Bob and the worship team and Dave for taking part. And But my greatest fear at this moment is that I might do something that might mess all that up. So would you pray with me before I go any farther? Father God, we thank you for your presence that we sense here today. And Father, this is a tremendous chapter in the Word of God. I, it's one of my favorites. It's an incredible story. of commitment, of trust, and most of all, of love for you. And Father, I in my own life, I, I desire to come to the same place that Abraham came to. So Father, I pray that, that what is said today, that everything will bring glory and praise and honor in the direction of your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want, I want to thank the family and the friends that have come today for the uh, baptismal service. Uh, you probably don't realize how important and how special that is to the ones being baptized. And I uh, just want to say thank you. Wherever you came from, I know you've come from di- distances and uh, different directions, and just uh, thanks for coming and being a part of this special day in, in their lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we continue our series of messages on adventures with Abraham out of the book of Genesis. And by the way, at the conclusion of the service, the three that got baptized will be out in the hallway, and we encourage you to just tell them how proud of them you are. Uh, it's okay to hug them. Uh, whatever you want to do, if you want to give them money, I'm sure they won't give it back. I, I don't care what you want to do to show your expression of love to them. Hey, they're young kids. They have expenses. I want to read Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham He said to Abraham, he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. You know, I don't know about you, but I never like tests too well. Because with tests, you only have two options. You either pass or you fail. there's There's no third option here. I remember uh, in our family with the four boys, we never took driver's training. Any of us, uh, dad taught us all how to drive. And uh, I remember that dreaded night before I had to go and take my actual driver's test. Not the written part, but the actual driver's part with the instructor. Now, I'll never forget the night before I couldn't sleep. 
Because to me, if I didn't pass that next day, my life was over, basically. Not putting any pressure on myself, but I mean, that's just the way it was. My life was over. I, I waited a little longer to get my license. I was almost 18 when I got mine. And uh, I'll never forget, there was one thing that I had a lot of trouble with, and maybe some of you had trouble with the dreaded parallel parking. If, if I was going straight, I did fine. If I, I, you know, I could even back up in certain respects, but parallel parking was just a terrible part of the test. And the night before, I couldn't sleep, and I just kept praying, Lord, tomorrow you take the wheel when it comes to the parallel parking part. You take the wheel. And I knew the driver's course. I knew where the driver instructor went out in New Haven. I knew that there was this train track that had a stop sign there on Hartzell Road. And that's where most people failed because they didn't stop before they went over the train track. I had followed the driver instructor around. (laughs) But I still couldn't parallel park. And dad kept telling me, you'll do all right, Dave, you'll do all right. So I'm driving around New Haven and they didn't catch me at the railroad track. And I just smiled as I looked at that instructor because he was wanting to flunk me. I could just tell. And I made it. And then we got into downtown New Haven and he said, uh, it's time to parallel park. And I just prayed, Lord, take the wheel. And I believe he did. Because it was the best job of parallel parking I ever did in my life. And I nailed it. And I got my license. Tests are tough things. You can pass or you could fail. And we're going to see how in in this test that Abraham had, he passed it with an A+. He got an A-plus on this test. Verse 2 says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. I'm sure at this point Abraham is thinking, Now wait a minute. I, we just gave birth to a son and you've told us that he's the child of promise. You've told us that all the other nations will be blessed through him and his line. And you want me to kill him? And how do you reconcile the promise of God with the command of God? It's pretty tough to understand. Ray Pritchard said, God tested Abraham. No, it wasn't a test so that God could find out the extent of Abraham's faith and devotion. God already knew. But Abraham didn't. Abraham didn't know the full extent of his loyalty, the full extent of his love and his devotion to God. And this this test was more for Abraham to have more revealed about Abraham than anything else. And Henry Blackaby 
in his book, Created to be God's Friend, tells us that when this occasion happened, that Abraham had walked with God for about 40 years. And uh, as I was reading that, I thought, that's interesting because at the age of 14, I gave my life to Christ. That was 40 years ago. So I can relate to Abraham's walk of 40 years. And during that walk of Abraham, there were times where he fell. There were times where he failed. There were times where he stumbled in his walk with the Lord. But one thing you have to say about Abraham was he always got up and he went on. And it truly was a walk of faith. You know, I love professions of faith like we heard this morning in the baptismal tank. But profession of faith in itself is not enough. Because God is looking for not just profession of faith, but out of his children, he's looking for a progression of faith. A progression of faith. And that's what Abraham's life was. It wasn't just a profession of faith. It was a progression. His faith was progressing. And we see that especially here in Genesis chapter 22. Fathers, what would it be like to you if the Lord spoke to you and told you to kill one of your sons? Let's really bring this close to home this morning. And he would tell you the name of the son that he wanted you to kill. That's the situation Abraham is facing. Never before and never since has God ever requested what he requested of Abraham. Never before and never since. This is an isolated incident. It's a one-time incident that we have before us. And I want you to be clear about what Abraham is being asked to do. He is being asked, look at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. By the way, does that get you early the next morning? If there was ever a man that was tempted to procrastinate, it would have been Abraham on that day. But it was total obedience. It was instantaneous obedience. I'm up early in the morning to go do what God asked me to do. Wow. Wow. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. It took Abraham three days to get from where he was at to get to Mount Moriah. And it must have seemed like three weeks. What do you think Abraham was thinking as he was walking that three-day trip to Mount Moriah knowing that God had asked him to kill his son? What thoughts do you think are going through his mind? What do you think is ripping at his heart? For three 
days. Let me be clear what God is asking him to do. He wanted Abraham to travel with his son to Moriah, which today is Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. To build an altar of stones on one of the mountains. And once he had built that altar of stones, then he would lay the wood as a platform on top of that altar. And then Isaac would consent to lying on top of the wood on the altar. And then Abraham would take his knife and he would slit Isaac's throat just like they slit the throat of the sacrificial lamb in that day. And Isaac would die. But it wouldn't be over. Because then the wood on which Isaac was laying would then be set on fire and Isaac's body would become a burnt offering to God. That is what God is asking. Well, what's Abraham's reaction to that? Verse 5 says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. How did Abraham view this whole thing, this whole experience as an act of worship? Are you kidding me? It's an act of worship. And by the way, after we've worshiped, we'll, we'll be right back. Now, Pastor Bob had Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 for the scripture reading this morning. And if you saw that line in there, what Abraham was thinking is he really believed he was going to sacrifice his son. But he also believed that God was going to raise his son from the dead. Now, folks, that's faith. Because we have no other recorded instances up to that point of any resurrections. We don't have it. Abraham says, God's going to raise my boy back to life. Wow. What kind of faith is that? Verse 6 says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. I emphasize that phrase there. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad's. Dads, what would you say to answer that question? Father, we got everything here. We got the rocks. We got the wood. We got the knife. We, we've got everything. But dad, there's something we're missing if we're going to present a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is it? Where is it? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And there we have it the second time. And the two of them went on together. Wow, what faith. Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? God will provide it. (laughs) Wow, God will provide that. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. The second time in the chapter, Abraham answers, here I am, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham released his son completely to God. Parents, have you released your children completely to God? Whatever that might entail for your family. If God calls one of your children to a faraway mission field, to where you're only going to see your grandkids maybe once every two years when they come home on home assignment? Have you released your children completely to God? Abraham did. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This whole thing is about Abraham's love, Abraham's loyalty, Abraham's devotion, Abraham's faith in God. Mount Moriah represented the highest pinnacle of surrender for Abraham. And it represented the highest pinnacle of sacrifice for Isaac. And let's not forget his part in this story. He had to consent to getting on that altar because Abraham was over a hundred years old. And if Isaac would have wanted to run away, Abraham could have never caught him. Think about it. The consent of Isaac. Dad, if that's what God is telling me to do, to be the sacrifice, Dad, I'm going to get on that altar. This whole thing was a vote of confidence for Abraham. Abraham, look at the extent of your love and your loyalty to me. Abraham, look how your faith has grown. Look, Abraham, what you were willing to do for me on that summit of sacrifice, the ultimate test. Abraham, you passed it with an A+. Why? Because of the love Abraham had for the Lord that went beyond the love that he had for his son Isaac. This year's general conference, the keynote speaker was Francis Chan. And they had a lot of other really good speakers. But uh, Francis Chan was the, the keynote speaker that they brought in. He spoke on Thursday morning, and I'll never forget what he said. He talked about his own spiritual journey and how at points in his life, he got to the place where he really questioned his love for the Lord. 
He was asked on Easter Sunday, he was asked to preach at a church. So in preparation for that Easter sermon, he said he thought he'd go back and look at some of his sermon files to see what he had preached on other Easter's. And so he started pulling out sermons to read that he had preached 20 years ago. And he said, as he pulled those sermons out and read them, two thoughts came quickly to his mind. The first one was, I'm not as bold as I was 20 years ago in my preaching. I'm not as bold. And he talked about how sometimes he feared the social media that that just travels around and they try to catch him in his speech so that they would have some big story that they could put in the papers. And he said he, he found himself just kind of backing off in the boldness category. And, but he said that wasn't the thing that got him most. As he read those sermons from 20 years earlier, he said he began to realize, I don't love the Lord today the way I loved the Lord 20 years ago. And so he thought, what can I do to get that love back? And he became very vulnerable. He said some of the things he said, he had kind of started to swell up with pride. He pastored a church of 4,000. He's written numerous books. He's very well desired as a conference speaker. And he said he started to kind of go to his head. He had hit the big time. And he said the low point for him was he got to the place where he was checking the number of hits on his website and comparing those hits up against Joel Osteen to see if his website was getting more hits than Joel Osteen. And he began to realize this is really messed up. My love for you, Lord, it's not what it used to be. And I want to get it back. And what do I have to do? And he said he he stumbled upon one of the the letters to the the church in in Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, where it said, and these words spoke to him, strengthen that which remains that's about ready to die. Strengthen that which remains that's just about ready to die. And he went on that journey to try to get his love back for the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, I can relate to Francis Chan. My relationship with the Lord was so much better in past tense than it is today. I've enjoyed far better days with the Lord in the past than what I'm enjoying now. How do I get that love back? And then we we heard from Steve Jones, who's now our denominational president, And he spoke on Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. It's talking about the end times. It says, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. And I thought, yeah, I understood that part about because of the increase in wickedness. Well, that's why people are sexually abusing children. That's why we've got the gang violence and the shootings. That's why we've got life so cheap today where people are just taking each other out. 
And I said, I get that, Lord. I, I understand this part about, you know, because of the increase in wickedness. And it's all about these non-Christians that don't have the love of the Lord Jesus in them. And that, what else do we expect them to act like that? I get that, Lord. Until Steve Jones made a point I'll never forget. It was the most profound statement that we heard at General Conference. He says, where it says, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The word that's used there for love is the word agape. And only Christians possess the agape love. And what what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 is, in the last days, the love of most Christians will grow cold. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about society apart from God. He's talking about Christians. And he says, the love of most Christians will grow cold. Abraham got through this situation, a terrible experience. One of the toughest tests any man ever had to face. Because his love for the Lord was so solid. It was more than his love for Isaac. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides... Mount Moriah. I believe that the Bible teaches that where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac was in the very close vicinity of where Jesus Christ was crucified upon the cross. I believe personally There's a reason why God told Abraham to leave and go three days to sacrifice his son and to go to a specific location. Because that location would be a type, it would be a prefigurement of an event that would happen 2,000 years later on that same mountain. How do we know it was the same place? 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1 says... Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Are you seeing it this morning? The temple, the sacrificial site, the crucifixion, it's all there. But there's one major difference between Abraham's story and the story of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was bound, no voice cried out to stop the nails. This time, no other sacrifice was provided. When Isaac asked, where is the lamb? John the Baptist answered that question in John chapter 1, verse 29. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the lamb. There's the lamb. 
This time there was no stay of execution. This time there was no animal substitute. This time the son died. And this time the father grieved. But this time, after three days, he came up out of that grave. Amen. Amen. This time. This time. I close with this illustration. It's a true story. Happened about 160 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. There's a story of what is known as, uh, for those of you who know history, the, the Macca- <coughs> excuse me, Maccabean Revolt. What happened, there was a, a king of Syria by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And what he tried to do, he tried to destroy the Jewish religion and he tried to make the Jews deny their faith in God. He did many terrible things. But one of the things that the history books record over and over is that Antiochus Epiphany tried to get the Jews to sacrifice a pig on their altar. Those altars of worship to God. If you know anything about the clean and unclean animals, you would, you would understand what an abomination that would be to a Jew on that altar of worship to come in and sacrifice a pig. And so the Jews would come in and he would, he would line them up and say, sacrifice a pig or you're going to be killed. Sacrifice a pig. The story's told of a mother who had seven sons. A Jewish family. The soldiers went and they got this this family and they brought them in and they stood each one of the sons up and they said, sacrifice a pig on the altar. And the first son, the oldest, he refused. They cut out his tongue. They said, we're going to give you a second chance. Sacrifice a pig on the altar. And he refused the second time. They scalped him. They gave him a third chance. He refused. They cut off both arms and they threw him on the altar. They gave him a fourth chance and they cut off both legs and they threw him on the altar. They gave him a fifth chance and he refused every time until finally what was left of his body, they put it on the altar and they set it on fire. The next son, they brought him in. And they said, sacrifice a pig on the altar. And he, he refused to do it. And they put his body in a giant skillet and they fried him. Third son, fourth son, fifth son, sixth son, all refused and faced torturous and terrible deaths. There was one son left. He was the baby of the family. Just a young boy. And the soldiers came for him. And even the most hard-hearted of all the soldiers, they, they didn't want to kill the little boy. So they went to his mother and they said, if he just kisses a piece of pork, we'll let him off. If he just kisses a piece of pork... History records... That mother took her son, 
her youngest, and said to him, Son, I carried you in my, my womb for nine months. I nursed you for three years. I raised you for a moment like this. I encourage you to stand strong in your faith and to follow in the steps of your brothers. And when you die, I will die to be with you. They took the little boy. They told him to kiss the piece of pork. He refused. He was executed. And his mother was executed right after him. And that was the beginning of the Maccabean revolt, which issued in a hundred years of freedom for the people of Israel. What does your love and your loyalty and your definition of devotion and commitment to Jesus Christ, what does that really look like? Does it look like that? Does it look like Abraham's? Do we in the church of Jesus Christ today even understand what the word commitment means anymore? Or have we lowered the bar so much to what appears to be commitment today really isn't commitment at all? Do we get it? Do we get what Jesus Christ died upon that cross for each one of us to become? Do we really get it? This morning we're going to have the worship team come. They're going to sing a closing hymn that couldn't close with a better hymn. You're not going to change it, are you, Pastor Bob? All right. I he thought about it. I surrender all. Great old hymn of the church. And this morning, if you're at that place in your life where you say, you know, it was really neat to watch those young people up there in that baptismal tank talking about the seriousness of their relationship to Christ and how they were unashamed that anyone would know. It was verbal. It was visible this morning. I'm so proud of those three. Maybe you're here this morning. You haven't even started your spiritual journey. You haven't even started it. You can do that today. And I don't care what you've done in your past. You can say, oh man, Pastor Dave, you don't know. I got a lot of skeletons hanging in my closet. Well, let me tell you something. God has a way of cleaning out closets. He says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. He can give you a new closet this morning. He can give you a new one. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close if you have a spiritual need in your life today, you just want somebody to pray with you. You want to take a, a farther step in your spiritual journey this morning, and you're not ashamed that anyone here would know that. I'm going to ask you to do what's kind of difficult today. Step out from your pew. Just like the, the young people up there in that tank. Verbal, visible. I want everybody to know I'm making a recommitment or I am making a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ this morning. And I don't care who sees me or who knows. I'm going to do business with God.
right here and right now.